0: Revelation 3 7 through 13 this morning, which is page 1029 in the Pew Bibles. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write The words of the Holy One, the true One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Kate. Good morning. Just clearing John's rubbish from the hallway. <laughs> okay. Good morning. Um, let me begin by telling you about Alistair. Alistair was a student I worked with back in the UK. He was part of our campus ministry. And one of the things that these students would do would they'd be um, they'd uh, kind of run these events, put on these events designed to give people a chance to hear about Jesus. A whole week long series of events. And the way they'd advertise it. There uh, would be posters, videos, online, in print, but also by doing announcements at the front of their lecture theatres. Uh, loads of societies did this, and that's what Alistair did. Uh, he asked for permission beforehand, he did his spiel, but after he sat down, the professor then got up and told the entire room there that that was not the place to be advertising things about Christianity. And the whole room burst into applause. Imagine that. Uh, these would have been uh, undergraduate lecture theaters, 3, 400 students. Imagine how you'd have felt if you were Alistair. Imagine how you'd have felt if you were one of the other Christian students there watching your buddy up front. Imagine how small you would feel. And yet for a lot of us here we don't have to imagine it. Each of us would have our own stories to share. Different circumstances, different situation, and yet times when we have felt so small as followers of Christ. I know that for some of us here, we come from unbelieving families. We're the only Christian in our family, and it can be really difficult to hold on to what Christ says in his word when our whole family seems so antagonistic to him. That we can feel so small at school when we're the only Christian in our class or as parents trying to counsel our kids through a school system that seems to be edging out a Christian voice, perhaps the same at workplace. Or as we think of ourselves as a church in this society, we feel so small. Going back to Alistair, what would you say to him? What would you say to encourage him? what do you think Jesus would say to him? Well, as we turn to our passage this morning, that is precisely what we find. Jesus' words of encouragement. See, Jesus says to all who follow him, you are mine and I will bring you home. You are mine and I will bring you home. As Josh mentioned, we, we've arrived at the time we've been waiting for, the letter to the church in Philadelphia. Even I've been looking forward to this, even though I'm not from Philadelphia. See, it, it kind of, we've been patiently working our way through this series, and we've eventually arrived here, even though we know it's a different Philadelphia. It somehow feels like it's, it's our letter, right? Even though it's a different place. Thousands of years ago, thousands of miles away, a city that's now in modern-day Turkey, Uh, situated in what was a Roman Empire trade route, surrounded by fertile soils because of volcanic activity, uh, threatened by earthquakes, which often forced the residents out of the city, uh, with its own cultural, religious, uh, political environment, a different place, a different city. And yet, also words to us. We've seen this all the way through, haven't we? Verse 13, He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches these words to the church in philadelphia are words to us here this morning because these are words to all who follow christ to all who faithfully hold on to what he says in his word to all who cling to him jesus says you are mine and i will bring you home And so this morning let's take each of those parts in turn let's start by seeing how Jesus says you are mine you see this church in Philadelphia their place in society it was being sidelined but Jesus assures them that their place in God's kingdom was utterly secure verse 7 and to the angel in the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One the true one who has the key of David who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Jesus presents himself as the one with the key of David. And this image of a key, it might make you think back to what we saw in chapter 1, verse 18 there. Uh, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, Jesus says, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is the one with power over life and death. And so when we see that in our verse, we think, wow, Jesus is the one with authority over life and death. But this reference, it actually points us even further back, back to a prophecy in the book of Isaiah, a prophecy about this man called Eliakim. He was to be the chief steward in God's kingdom, where authority over access in God's kingdom. Uh, imagine him almost like a gatekeeper who has a say over who is in and who is out. And we get this promise. He says, I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and no one shall shut. And he shall shut and no one shall open. And so what Jesus does, he takes that description and he applies it to himself. Jesus is this one with authority over access into the kingdom. Except not just over Judah and Jerusalem, No, Jesus has this kind of authority over the whole world. See, Jesus has nothing less than ultimate authority over salvation and judgment. He is the one with the final say over who belongs and who doesn't belong. That's who this letter is coming from. And what does that Jesus see in this church? Well, verse 8 shows us he sees their faithfulness. You see, verse 8, it's really one sentence that's been interrupted by this interjection, behold, and so we'll, we'll look at that in just a second, but what does this Jesus see in this church? I know your works. He continues, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. This little church in Philadelphia, they had but little power. Most likely they were small in number. Certainly, they were small in influence. They didn't shape the society around them. They weren't the people to determine the course of the entire culture. Uh, They weren't big players in politics. Now, they were being sidelined in their society. In fact, they were being persecuted because they were following Christ. Small, unimpressive. And yet, what does Jesus see? They were faithful. They kept hold of his word. They did not deny his name. They identified as those who belonged to Christ. We are his, they said. And that's what Jesus sees. Do you notice what it is that catches Jesus' eye here? It's not impressiveness. It's faithfulness. That's what catches his attention. That's what he is drawn to. Just think of what the world at large cares more about, impressiveness or faithfulness. If we're honest, what do we care more about often? What are we drawn to, impressiveness or faithfulness? Well, here we see what Jesus is drawn to. He sees their faithfulness, and so he writes with affirmation. You'll have noticed, as Kate read through this passage, there's no rebuke in this letter. There's no, oh, but I have this against you in this letter. It is just encouragement. So much so there's this uh, kind of interruption in verse 8. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. He sets before them an open door to God's kingdom. Their place in society was being sidelined But Jesus assures them that their place in God's kingdom was utterly secure. Now it's worth noting here that some people understand this open door to be an open door for the gospel, an open door for evangelism and mission. And that's definitely possible. Uh, Back in Paul's letters, he uses the open door an image for the word going out. And so it's definitely plausible here. But I think in the context, the emphasis is on encouraging these Christian believers to hold on rather than spurring them on to go out. So I think it's best to understand this open door as an open door to God's kingdom. He's talking about their salvation. Their place was secure. Think of it this way. In the experience of this little church, door after door after door was being closed on them. Family, the workplace, society at large. Just picture them in this long hallway with doors lining each side, and one after another, they were being slammed shut in their face. They were left out in the dark. But Jesus says to them here, even if every other door is closed, the door that matters most, the only door that is of ultimate significance, that stands open. And no one can shut it. Jesus writes to these believers, you are mine. You're mine. And even if no one else around you will recognize that now, one day everyone will see that that is the case. Verse 9, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. This church was being opposed by other people, pushed to the side. But even those who oppose them will one day come to see that they truly belonged to Christ. What we we see in this verse is, is really quite critical for us to understand. You see, rejecting Christ is not just a matter of preference you can't reduce it down to a matter of preference. You do you, and I'll do me. You see, we're familiar with the world of preferences. Some people like sweet foods more. Some people prefer savory foods more. What do we say? It's a matter of preference. It extends all across different areas of life. You know, what's the best American sport? Football? Baseball? Maybe something else? What about holiday preferences, vacation preferences? Relaxing by the beach, adventuring in the mountains. Each of us will have our own preferences. Even the most clear-cut things in the world, Pepsi or Coke. (laughs) You see, we laugh. You go to a restaurant, you ask for Coke, and the dreaded question comes, is Pepsi okay? (laughs) It's it's like an awkward silence, isn't it? You don't want to be that guy, but you don't want to drink Pepsi. (laughs) Now, we laugh at this, because we know it's not a big deal. Even if we are die-hard Coke fans, we know it's not a big deal because it's a matter of preference. Rejecting Christ cannot be reduced to a matter of preference. And what we find here is that rejecting Christ, sets you up as an enemy of God. It sets you on a collision course with the living God of the universe. He describes them as those of the synagogue of Satan. You'll remember this phrase from a few weeks back in the letter to the church in Smyrna. Um, Josh explained the context for us. These were Jews in the city who had rejected Christ. And so they rejected those who followed Christ. They kicked them out of the synagogue. They closed the door on them. They left them out in the dark. They even handed them over to the Roman authorities to be persecuted. And she describes them as nothing less than the synagogue of Satan. They were enemies of God. They were in league with the devil. These enemies claimed to be the true people of God, but that was not true. They saw themselves as being on the right side of history. But Jesus here says it is those who follow Christ who will be vindicated on that last day. Those who cling to Jesus will not, at the end, find themselves on the wrong side of history. They will be vindicated. Not vindicated as being better than everyone, kind of being smug about it, Now vindicated as belonging to Jesus. I love how tender these words are. Verse 8 at the end. They will learn that I have loved you. It's not that they'll learn that you are better than everyone. It's not that they'll learn that you are right to be self-righteous. No, they will learn that I have loved you. Jesus says, you are mine. One of my favorite movies all time. Is The Terminal. Because I'm a big fan of Tom Hanks, and I'm a big fan of airports. And in The Terminal, if you know, Tom Hanks plays a man stuck in an airport. So it's basically the perfect movie. You see, Tom Hanks, this character, he was on the way, he's flying to the States. But while he was in the air, his country descends into civil war. And so by the time he arrives at JFK, his country is no longer recognized, his passport's no longer recognized. And so they won't let him in. Now at this stage, he doesn't really understand English, so they're trying to explain it to him. He, he's not really following. And so he stands up and he says, OK, so, so I'll go to New York City, right? And they said, I'm sorry, no. America is closed. America is closed. The door was not open for him, Victor Noworski. The door was slammed shut in his face. It is really hard when it feels like the doors around us are closed or it feels like door after door is closing upon us. We can feel so small and unimpressive as this lone Christian in our family trying to hold on faithfully to Christ when all around us seem to be going the other way. Like we said earlier, perhaps as kids in school or as parents trying to counsel our kids through a society which seems so opposed to Christ. Maybe as someone in a workplace, trying to live faithfully and distinctively, trying to point other people to Christ. Or we think of our place as a church in our society. We feel so small and unimpressive. We're clinging on to Christ, and yet it's difficult when every door around us seems to be shut. Well, Jesus here, he writes to encourage all those who cling to Christ. Friends, even if every door around you is shut, Jesus assures you that the door that matters most, the only door that is of ultimate significance, stands open and no one can shut it. Do you recognize how big that is? There is no one in heaven or on earth who is powerful enough to shut the door that Jesus has opened. There's no one persuasive enough, no one attractive enough, no one impressive enough to close that door. That's the encouragement that Jesus gives to those who feel so close to the pressure. But it's also, I think, the encouragement he gives even to those who feel really quite far from that pressure for one reason or another. For some of us here, perhaps for quite a number of us here, We love hearing these examples of those who stand faithfully as a witness for Christ, stand distinctively amongst those who do not profess faith in Christ. And we love hearing these examples, and we're encouraged by them. But if we're honest, when we look at our own lives, we feel as if, well, no one's going to look at us and see this valiant example of someone standing distinctively. Not that we're denying Christ, we're clinging on to Him, But when others look at us, they will see someone who is just struggling. Struggling to get through the next day, barely clinging on. Uh, We can feel this particularly in certain seasons of life. Uh, When we're unemployed, it can be really hard. We talk to others, we come to church and everyone just says they're busy, busy, busy. And we're encouraged by how they're clinging on to Christ and wanting to be a witness. But we look at our calendar and there's nothing there. We feel like we are totally unwanted and unneeded. And we are doing everything we can to cling on to Christ's promises just to get through the next week. Or perhaps we're weighed down by an illness for a period of time or a chronic illness And instead of standing valiantly out there in the world, we feel like we're just stuck at home with not much to offer, not much to bring to the table. No, instead, we feel like we're just drawing others to ourselves and being a burden to them. And we are just clinging on with everything we have. Uh, We're not even thinking about the next week. Just the next day is hard enough. Or for some who are parents of little children, uh, children who are too little even to be at schools. So we can't even say that we're helping them navigate the public school system. No, we're just stuck at home. We're just in the basement doing yet another load of laundry. And we think to ourselves, does anyone even know that I'm here? We feel utterly overlooked, utterly forgotten, clinging on with everything we have to Christ's promises to us, what he says about who we are in him, just to find the strength to go back upstairs again. Jesus' words of encouragement here are not reserved for the impressive. They're not only for the impressive in the world's eyes. They're not also only reserved for those who look impressive in the church's eyes. We don't need to make our story sound better than it is because Jesus' words of encouragement are to all who follow him who faithfully hold to his word, who are clinging on to him for dear life. Friends, what Jesus says here, he says to the smallest and most unimpressive church that is holding on to him. What Jesus says here, he says to the weakest and the most feeble of believers who is desperately clinging on to what they have in Christ. And what is it that Jesus says? You are mine. You are mine and then he says i will bring you home that's the promise he gives here you are mine and i will bring you home nothing will get in the way of that not even trial and tribulation verse 10 because you have kept my word about patient endurance i will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world To try those who dwell on the earth Jesus gives yet more encouragement here he sees their faithfulness they have kept his word and so he is going to keep them that's what he promises they have seen that Jesus word is true so he is going to be true to his word faithful to his faithful followers he's going to keep them from this hour of trial that is coming now what does this refer to what is in view Well, it doesn't seem like this is one local specific event only for this little church in Philadelphia that's around the corner. It seems much bigger, much more climactic. It's an hour of trial that is coming on the whole world, global in scale, cosmic in scale even. Uh, He refers to it as the hour of trial, not just an hour, any old hour, The hour, referring to something specific. And throughout the whole of the book of Revelation, this phrase, the hour, refers to God's end-time judgment on the whole world. And it makes sense because this is an hour of trial that is coming to try those who dwell on the earth. Again, in the book of Revelation, it's almost like a technical term. Those who dwell on the earth are those who have rejected Christ. Those who don't believe in Christ, those who have pushed him away and to keep him at arm's length. Now, the way one of my professors puts it, these who dwell on the earth, their citizenship is on earth rather than in heaven. And so I think what's in view is this coming end time judgment on a world that has rejected God there's judgment that will come to a climax when Jesus returns and a judgment that we even see anticipations of now, preludes now, as we experience life with its trials and tribulations. And what Jesus is promising is to keep his people even through trial and tribulation. It's not the assurance that he'll uh, remove his people so they'll feel totally unscathed by the ups and downs of life. It's the promise that he will uh, preserve them even through the most fierce trial and tribulation. Uh, The pattern, I think, is similar to what Jesus prays in John chapter 17. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Or in John chapter 16, right at the end, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Uh, The way one scholar summarizes it is like this, the promise of preservation for believers doesn't mean that they will be absent from the earth when the great trial arrives. It means that they won't face judgment, that they will be spared from God's wrath. Now, I understand that as we try to get our heads around the end times and how the book of Revelation fits in, it may be all sorts of questions, and so if you do have questions you want to talk more, let me just say, Josh is sitting here and John is sitting there, (laughs) Justin is hiding at the back, they'd love to chat with you afterwards. (laughs) But for us here right now, I think what is clear is this, and this is really quite crucial. When we see trial and tribulation, it does not mean that Jesus has changed his mind about his people. When we encounter trial and tribulation, it does not mean that Jesus has somehow given up on his people, or that he is somehow losing his grip on those he has won for himself. Jesus promises to keep the, those who are his own even through trial and tribulation. In the words of that great hymn, How Firm a Foundation, The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. Jesus says, I will bring you home and nothing will get in the way of that. And in the end, God's people will be established in God's presence forevermore verse 11 i am coming soon hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown jesus assures us he's coming soon and when he comes that is going to be good news for those that belong to him because when jesus comes it's home time it's home time. Think of it this way: we have a whole bunch of people in this room who kindly, generously serve us in Trinity Kids. They do a wonderful job, but I know that it can be hard when sometimes, for one, for one reason or another, our service goes on for a little bit longer. I'm not. I'm not looking at, I'm not pointing fingers here. <laughs> i genuinely not. The other. Day, my my wife Wendy is downstairs with the grade one and two. I said to her the other day. I'm really sorry, I think I'm gonna go long this Sunday. So I'm not pointing fingers, but just sometimes our services go a little bit longer. And when that happens, and you're downstairs, you know, in the back of your mind, you just start wondering, are these parents ever gonna come downstairs? You know, I heard them promise their children, I'm coming back soon, <laughs> but there's no sign of them. Until we hear that little trickle of footsteps down the stairs, we think, great, they're here. What does that mean? Home time. Well, Jesus here promises us he is coming soon. He's not delayed, he's not forgotten, he's not uncertain as to whether or not he's gonna come. He will come according to his timing, according to his purposes, and when he does, home time. See, verse 12, it paints this great picture for us. It's really describing the same thing from multiple angles verse 12 the one who conquers i will make him a pillar in the temple of my god never shall he go out of it and i will write on him the name of my god and the name of the city of my god the new jerusalem which comes down from my god out of heaven and my own new name those that belong to him he will make them a pillar in the temple of god Now later in the book of Revelation, we find that there's not gonna be a physical temple anymore. The temple will be the Lord Himself. And so what we have here is this image, this description that we will be with Him. We will be established in God's presence forevermore. Never will He go out. Never will our presence with God and His presence with us be under threat. We will never be kicked out by our enemies. We'll never be forced out by the threat of natural disasters. We will be established in God's own presence forevermore. And we will have his name written upon us. A sign of belonging. A sign of citizenship. In terms that will be unpacked later in Revelation chapter 21. Words we're familiar with. And I saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. See, this is the context in which we find that there will no longer be death, no more mourning, no crying, no pain. Why? Because we will be with God. God. And Jesus here promises that those who belong to him will be established in his presence forevermore. It's what we sing about in the song that we'll sing after this. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. Jesus promises to keep his people even through trial and tribulation. He promises to establish us in God's presence forevermore. I will bring you home, he says. I will bring you home. If we are trusting in Jesus Christ today, that is the hope that we can look forward to. That's the hope that we can cling to because that is the hope that Jesus has won for us. You see, in his life and ministry, Jesus looked pretty small and pretty unimpressive in the world's eyes. And yet he was utterly faithful to God. Kept his word without fail every step of the way. Never denied knowing him. Honored his name perfectly. Obeyed his heavenly father every step of the way. And where did that way lead? It led to his death. Instead of a victor's crown, he received a crown of thorns. He suffered scorn from all those who opposed him. His enemies kicked him out. Out of the city. Left out in the dark. And on the cross, he sat under the judgment of God, even though that's precisely what we had deserved. Left to our own devices, we would be enemies of God. The door would be closed to us. And yet, Jesus secured our place by taking our place on that cross. He died the death that we deserved, and then he rose again victorious. He was vindicated. He was vindicated for all to see. He was faithful in our place. He now sits at the right hand of the Father. And every knee will bow. It looked like he was on the wrong side of history. Then he was in fact the one who orchestrated all of history according to his purposes. And he is coming soon. And that one says to all who trust in him, you are mine and I
2: will bring you home. And so really there's only one question left for us to ask.
1: Are you his? To all who belong to him, Jesus says you really are mine. Whatever it looks like around you, you are mine and I will bring you home. So friends, I have to ask you, are you his? Remember what we saw earlier. Rejecting Christ cannot be reduced down to a matter of preference. Rejecting Christ stands you as an enemy of God. Destined to destruction. The door is closed to all who reject Christ. And yet we see that Jesus has done everything to secure our place. Friends, if you right now are holding him at arm's length, will you turn away from that? Will you turn away from pushing him away and instead receive him by faith? Some of us say we'll call ourselves Christians. We've grown up in the church perhaps. We're familiar with Christian things, and yet if we're honest in our heart of hearts, we are pushing Christ away. It's not that we're just struggling to cling on to his promises. No, we've got no interest to cling on. We're pushing him away. We don't want to remain faithful to his word. Friends, if that is you here this morning, remember that Christ's promises here, they are reserved for those who cling to him. Not perfectly, but faithfully cling to Him with everything that they have, friends, will you turn back to Christ? And if you are trusting in Him today, if you are one who clings to Him, not impressively, not in a way that other people might write about, but if you are clinging to Him, will you hold on to what you have in Him? An open door to God's kingdom. Citizenship in heaven. The promise of belonging to the true people of God. The promise of preservation, even through trial and tribulation. This future that is brighter than we can even describe. Friends, will you commit yourself to his word? Saturating yourself with what we have in Christ. Will you sing songs that drill those truths deep into our bones, not just when we're together, but even through the week? Will you cast yourself upon your knees and pray that He would continue to empower us to cling to Him? Will you commit yourself afresh to church, the body that He's placed you in, that you might encourage and spur on others to hold on and to be encouraged by them to hold on yourself. Friends, this week, as you feel the door closed on you, will you be quick to look up and see that open door, that door that no one can close? As you experience trial and tribulation this week, even today, will you cling to Christ? Will you cling to the one who took your judgment for you who promises to keep you till the end and who has said he is coming soon. Friends, will you hold on? Because Jesus says, You are mine and I will bring you home. Amen. Will Doggett is going to come and lead us in prayer now.
2: I thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, spirit of God, that you made a plan before the foundation of the world to draw us to you, to redeem your creation. And Lord Jesus, that you have opened a door that nobody can shut, and that regardless of our circumstances, of what trials or tribulations we may go through, you have met us, and you are faithful. And I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. I pray, Lord, that in our hearts and in our minds, we would understand that our God is faithful, that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, and there is nothing that can take that from us. Thank you, Jesus, for this word today, of encouragement to hang on. Lord, I pray that we would hang on and that we would grow. That we would saturate ourselves in your word, that your spirit would fill us in such a way that we would be testimonies of your grace. I pray these things in the name of your son Jesus. Amen.